Alright class, listen up. This isn't your regular public school education. Here, we discuss the money topics you should have been taught in school, but weren't. Join a community of people who are taking their lives into their own hands. Learn about financial independence so that you can design the life of your dreams. You're listening to The Phi School. Let's build a life worth running to. What's up, everybody? I'm Jared, host of the Phi School podcast, and today I am joined by nobody, actually. I am not joined by anybody today. I am all alone. Russell wasn't able to make it for today's recording, so today I'm going to actually be doing a reading of part of Mr. Money Mustache's most recent article that he put out. Um, for those of you who might remember, back on episode 1001, called The Power of Learning, if you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and listen to it. And in that episode, we talked all about different podcasts and, and bloggers and resources that we go to for learning all about financial independence um, in the modern day. And uh, Mr. Money Mustache is probably the most influential blogger that, um, well, since, you know, since like the last decade and a half or so in the uh, personal finance or, or financial independence space. So um, yeah, so Pete is his real name, Pete Adney, and he lives in uh, Longmont, Colorado. And he started a personal finance blog back in uh, 2010, 2011 or so. And he's kind of really big on riding a bike as much as possible because of the health benefits and the financial savings of it. And he kind of just calls out waste everywhere he sees it. So his blog has inspired thousands and thousands of people to take their money seriously, you know, to spend less than they earn, to invest the rest of their money, and to live a meaningful and intentional life based around community. He's published his numbers before. He he lives on, you know, very, very little money, um, but he lives a, a you know, a rich and meaningful life because he's built a huge sense of community, um, just, you know, helping, helping neighbors, helping each other with, um, you know, bathroom renovations and with, um, you know, laying concrete and doing all sorts of, um, kind of do it yourself projects and whatnot. So uh, a few years ago, he started a co-working space back in uh, Colorado called the Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters. And every year he holds a whole bunch of financial dependence events just to get like-minded people together or, uh, mustachians as the kind of the community of readers calls themselves. Um, and so he, uh, he, I get his emails in my, uh, in my email every, uh, every time that he puts out a new article and he doesn't really publish all too frequently anymore. He used to publish a lot more. He's, I know he's got thousands of articles on his website. Um, but today I actually wanted to read this pot, read this article on the podcast for, for two big reasons. One, um, many people find time for podcasts, but they, they don't really read blogs. Um, and that's probably because, you know, listening to podcasts is a lot easier when you're commuting to and from work, when you're around the house doing chores, mowing the lawn, whatever it may be. Um, but a lot of people don't have the time or don't make the time to, to sit down and read blogs and, you know, that's totally fine. So I thought this might be a great forum to be able to reach some of those people who, you know, aren't, um, in the habit of reading, you know, personal finance blogs. Um, uh, but the second reason is that, 
this article in particular kind of hit me, you know, really strongly this week, and I wanted to share some of my thoughts about it here on the show. So, I mean, this is the the Phi School podcast, and here we learn from some of the greatest minds in financial independence. And Mr. Money Mustache is definitely on uh, what Choose a Phi would call the Mount Rushmore of financial independence. So, <laughs> he's um, he's definitely the catalyst for so many people um, who have gotten into financial independence and who have gone on to achieve financial independence. He he reached his um, his financial independence number back in uh, back when he was like thirty, and I think he's like forty some odd years old. Um, I don't know how, but um, so he definitely an inspiration for a lot of people. And this uh, so this article is a, a little bit less about the details of money and a little bit more on the mindset of money and of life in general. So um, I'm really excited. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read through most of the article, a couple parts that aren't super relevant here. So I'll, I'll kind of skip over those, but. I'm going to read through most of the articles and then just kind of insert some comments here and there. And then on the back end, maybe just give a little bit of my commentary on um, some of the big takeaways that I had from this from this article. So um, if you want to find this article, I'll go ahead and link the article in the show notes, but you can just go to mrmoneymustache.com and right there on the front page, it has, you know, latest posts. And uh, this article is called The California Effect which you know also struck my eye because I'm from California and most of my family's in California so <laughs> all right let's uh, let's jump right into it so one of the reasons I don't write as often these days is that my life has gradually evolved into a personal finance bubble the people around me have learned to be purposeful with their money which means they now have plenty of savings and never have to stress about the stuff good ideas have naturally spread between the old group of friends and new ones with similar values have drifted in over the years and it has happened so much that it's almost normal for everyone in my neighborhood to have their own CNBC make it feature. Uh, I think he's referencing some friends of his that maybe do have a CNBC make it feature, <laughs> uh, which they don't even get around to mentioning because we're too busy helping each other with bathroom renovations or sharing the latest golden scores from Craigslist. Because this is my everyday reality, I have mistakenly come to assume that this must be normal and that perhaps these ideas of mustachian living have just become universal out there in American life. Until last weekend when I, uh, I took a short trip out to San Francisco and plunged deep into the astonishing reality of life outside of this bubble, and I realized that, wow, we still have so much work to do. And there is so much that both sides, the ultra consumers and the mustachians, can learn about human nature by studying the differences in our lifestyles. Side note, most people um, kind of that consider themselves mustachians or, or use that term um, often are kind of referring to like a, a hyper frugality. Like I said, I think I think Pete lives on like somewhere under $30,000 a year, um, you know, which by a lot of people's standards would be considered, you know, not a lot of money. So um, like frugality is, is definitely one of the big uh, character traits kind of in general for people who consider themselves mustachians. So back to it. The city of San Francisco is often called the city by locals, but it's really part of a megalopolis known as the Bay Area. The median house price is about $1.5 million, but that figure masks even more amazing differences because it includes quote-unquote bad neighborhoods where you can get in as low as $750,000 as long as you don't mind a long commute and or trash-strewn streets and keeping your house locked behind a steel gate at all times, and nicer ones where the prices start around um, $3 million. 
Locals have become accustomed to $6 gasoline over the the past year, $7 slices of pizza at a grungy restaurant if you shop around, and similarly surprising prices on most other services. One new homeowner lamented the $90 per hour rate that his housekeeping company was now charging him to clean the house, and I enjoyed the opportunity to pick up a brunch tab for three, $148 including tip, on a nice sunny patio at a modest restaurant. A young single professional in the finance industry asked me whether he should downsize to just one seven-passenger Mercedes SUV to escape the second $1,200 per month car car payment from his monthly expenses and free up a $200 parking space to boot. With stories like these, it's easy for the average person to just fall in line and repeat the standard Bay Area lament, quote, this is just a high cost of living area, so it's impossible to get ahead, end quote. So take a take a uh, pause right there. So uh, my wife and I definitely felt this way when we were living in San Diego. Um, and in some ways, we're kind of still feeling this way in Italy. So my wife and I are currently undergoing a, like a really rigid analysis of our lifestyle and our budget to make sure that our money is aligning with our values um, and that we're not being wasteful with any of our resources. But this, I mean, this is kind of a kind of a big deal, you know, or maybe not a big deal. This is kind of a a widespread, um, like a, a widespread sentiment. I, I don't know if, if any of you have <laughs> talked to any of your friends or if you felt this way, but um, when everything around you costs a whole lot, right? When a $7 slice of pizza, like he says in here, or $6 gas in San Diego, we were paying like six fifty for gas for a long time. And, and groceries were really expensive and the grocery store is always packed. And like it, when that is your every single day, that's, you know, that's not just your Saturday afternoon. That's your Tuesday morning. That's your Thursday evening. Like every single day is like this. Um, I can totally understand how people can feel this way. You know, this is just a high cost of living area and it's so it's impossible to get ahead. And in a lot of ways, right, when we're living in high cost of living areas, it is a huge impediment to our ability to get ahead. Like that is, you know, an, ob- <laughs> an objective fact, right? If it, if your mortgage or let's say your your rent is $2,800 a month for a 700 square foot uh, apartment in San Diego, as was the case with our neighbors, like there is, that is objectively way more expensive than if you were in Kansas and you're paying uh you know, $1,200 for a rent for a 1500 square foot bedroom or a square foot uh, apartment, right? So like, clearly, there is there is some truth to this and that it is very difficult to get ahead because it is a, a genuinely high cost of living area. But well, we'll, we'll jump right into this. So uh, I'll go back to this because he, he talks more about this. So uh, okay. But as my visit progressed and I looked in with my usual outsider's perspective, I couldn't help but notice an awful lot of holes in this argument. The argument being that it's a high cost of living area, so it's impossible to get ahead. Just as I do at home, this I spent the majority of my leisure time with good friends exploring beautiful parks and neighborhoods on foot. Sometimes we walked just to get to our appointments and our meetings, arriving to hear stories about how bad the car traffic was or how late and expensive the Uber ride had been for the other attendees. Interesting. Other times we hiked purposefully along cliffs and ocean shores. These days of fresh air and tens of thousands of steps left us feeling lean and healthy with endless happy memories, enormous appetites, and legs of sculpted steel. And yet they somehow cost absolutely nothing. And then we'd run into somebody who mentioned how hard it was to find time to get in shape or how impractical it was to walk or ride a bike in a city with such steep hills. Curious. We shopped in local grocery stores, and I checked in on Costco prices in the area, and I noticed that despite the high cost of living, uh, or sorry, despite the high cost of almost everything else, actual food 
so I'm assuming here he means, you know, whole foods and not processed food. Uh, actual food was only a few percent more expensive than it is in the affordable middle of the country where I live. Strange. On top of this, Northern California happens to be blessed with a climate where the leaves and flowers bloom year-round, often hanging low with free fruits and vegetables. You rarely need heating or air conditioning for your home, and bike transportation is easy year-round because you'll never encounter conditions more challenging than a bit of mildly cool rain or mist. Where I grew up in Canada, people would cry tears of joy if they woke up in January to discover the streets were free from snow and shimmering with actual liquid water. We would don on our swimsuits and spend the day dancing in the streets in a spontaneous block party. But in California, everyone dodges even the slightest weather, drives cars even though they are the slowest and most expensive way to get around, eats most of their meals at restaurants, considers a $150 bottle of wine to be a reasonable indulgence on a Friday, lives far away from work, and signs up for activities that are far away from home. Which means that despite the area's nation-leading salaries, the average person is no further ahead than the rest of us. All right, sidebar here. So remember, right, if you're earning $500,000 a year, but you spend $500,000 a year, you are no further ahead financially than someone who just earns $50,000 a year and spends $50,000 a year, right? In the in the end, you both have $0, right? And now, of course, you know, people might say, well, the goal isn't to just have as much money as possible. The goal is to use your money as a tool to get all of the things that you want and, 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 uh, the experiences and to live the life of meaning and purpose that you want. And and yes, that, that still holds. So perhaps, yes, your $500,000 that you're spending is towards you living a rich and meaningful life. But um, in terms of um, pursuing a path towards financial independence and pursuing, um, you know, saving your money and investing your money so that you can get ahead, right? If you're spending all of your money, you're not going to be able to get ahead, right? You have to have a difference between what you're actually bringing in and how much money you're actually spending. Now, so some of these some of the stuff he mentions here in the in the um, in his post, right? I don't I don't know if I totally agree with them because perhaps maybe maybe it's a demographic thing, right? Because I've got tons and tons of friends in California, right? And most of my friends in California do not eat at restaurants every single day. They do they would consider a hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine extremely expensive, and they would not do it, right? I, <laughs> he, he's kind of exaggerating some of the points here, and 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 maybe he's not. Maybe he's actually just talking about his reference group or the sample group of of people that he. Uh, was, you know, in close contact during his time in San Francisco, that's totally possible. But um, I think he hits the nail right on the head with, um, with where he's going with this, right? And that is that processed foods are probably going to be costing more, right? It, actual food, right? Your, your, your bread, your flour, your, um, your sugar, your vegetables, like those things maybe only cost a little bit more in San Francisco than they do in other parts of the country, right? They, they're probably going to cost more than they do in other parts of the country, but maybe only a little bit more and maybe significantly less than ice cream, for example, which I know has seen um, huge, huge jumps in um, in prices at the grocery store. Uh, but on top of this, this is a huge point, right? He talks about Northern California being blessed with a climate where the leaves and flowers bloom year round, right? This is totally true. Um, I lived my entire life in uh, Southern California and then went to college in Colorado. And when I got to college, it just blew me away how much of the year I did not want to spend uh, outside. Now, uh, <laughs> I lived in a slightly different part of Colorado than um, Pete did. I actually lived like up in the mountains and it was like snowing all the time. And it was college. There were a whole bunch of uh, nuanced differences to it, right? But I think 
what he brings up is, is a very, very true point. And one of the things that I loved so much about living in California and, and still love to this day is the ability to go outside basically all year long, right? The coldest that I would get in high school, I would ride a bike. I'd be in shorts and a t-shirt with a sweatshirt on and like, a and I'd ride my bike with gloves and a sweater or gloves and a, a scarf. And uh, when I'd get to school, um, I would take my scarf off, take my gloves off, take my sweatshirt off, stuff them in my backpack, because then I'd be warm. And then the rest of the day would be pretty warm as soon as the sun rose, right? So there are definitely huge, huge benefits to living in a place where you can be outside all the time. And and like Mr. Money Mustache talks about, right, getting to ride your bike or making it a priority to ride your bike is beneficial everywhere, but it's so much easier when you live in a place where you can just be outside all the time, right? Riding your bike in Colorado in in the snow and in the rain is most definitely doable, right? But it's it could be a lot more difficult or um, less desirable for the average American, perhaps. And so what he's saying here is it's just so mind-boggling that you could have a place that is so, um, that has, you know, naturally speaking, um, this huge opportunity and advantage it towards um, being outside, spending a lot of time outside and getting to enjoy all of the the free, you know, cost-wise free benefits of living in a place where you can be outside all the time and enjoy hiking and walking along the ocean and going to the beach, which is free. And like, you can enjoy all of these things, but people just get into the habit or get into a yeah, I think I think habit is, is the right term. Get into a habit of thinking, oh, well, it's raining, so I got to drive my car. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to walk. It's a whole mile away, so I'm going to drive my car. Oh, well, that's just the cost of the parking spot. Oh, that's just the cost of the car. That's just the cost of doing business here, right? And that is a mindset that I think we all fall into in different areas of our life. And it, it's not to say that everyone needs to go out and ride their bike everywhere, but actually in like a very real sense, <laughs> I'm in training in Texas right now. And one of the things that um, I've been considering for, uh, prior to coming to Texas for my training for the next few months was getting a bike so I could ride to, um, to and from base and to work and, and whatnot. And where I'm staying, I'm, I'm living in a house that's probably about two, two and a half miles away from my schoolhouse on base. Right. That's like, that is totally, totally doable on a bicycle, maybe like 15, 20 minutes stops. Like, and it's super flat. Like it's a straight line. Like it's as, as easy as possible as, as it could possibly be to ride my bike from this house to work. It is a, it's just like a, an eight minute drive or something like that. And while I'm here, I do have a rental car. And so you know, it's been rainy a little bit, kind of misty. And I've just been thinking, man, it's cold. Like I already have the rental car for this time while I'm here. So like, is it really costing me? It's not costing me anymore to like drive to school and back except for gas. It is costing me in gas, but of course, right. Normal for us in Italy is to pay like $6 and 50 cents for gas. Um, whereas here gas is like two fifty. So I'm like, oh dude, but gas isn't even that expensive because normal is six dollars and fifty cents right so anything under that especially like a third of that cost right is just like it's like great it's like oh it's basically nothing which is totally not true right because to fill up the car it's like 40 bucks right 40 bucks is 40 bucks not nothing but i've i've like it's crazy i was literally like i've been here for like a week right like two weeks ago i was totally set on getting a bike 
getting here and riding my bike to and from work. But since then, in this one week that I've had of driving my bike to work and drive, or sorry, driving my car to work and driving my car to the gym and then from the gym home, I've just been thinking like, man, this is so nice. It's so easy and it's so fast, right? Maybe it's more efficient for me to drive and to pay the gas money to drive. They're all short distances anyway, so it's you know really not a big deal. But maybe I should just be driving because... Um, it's faster. And then I have more time to do other things, right? I have more time to be at home and to uh, play to practice the guitar or to work on the podcast or to do any of these other things that I want to do. Um, but wait, I think he makes, he makes a really good point here. And that is that like in just one week, I have seen how quickly like my entire framework, this like this, my entire like thought process has completely reversed to the point where I was like, I was actually dead set on buying a bicycle. I even like prepared and got some, some like, uh, like clothing gear and a new backpack and things like to make it easier for riding my bike. And then after just one week of riding or driving my car to work where everyone else drives their cars to work, right? After just one week, I've been thinking, maybe I don't get a bike. Maybe I just, I save the money from the bicycle and I just keep driving. Right. And I mean, it was like a slap in the face when I read this article. I was like, man, like I, you know, maybe, maybe this is a trap. Maybe I need to work on doing hard things, right? Maybe I need to just get over. Maybe I just need to spend more time outside because I spend all day in a classroom and then the rest of the day at the gym. And then here at home inside this bedroom or inside the living room, right? I don't spend a whole lot of time outside. Maybe there are untold non-financial benefits to spending more time outside. Maybe there are untold non-financial benefits to riding my bicycle just a couple of miles every single day. Maybe that's what I need to be doing. And and so coming away from reading this and, and talking about it here on the podcast, like I'm I'm gonna go get a bicycle and I'm I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna do this. And it and it's funny because it's quite literally one of the things that he's talking about here in this article, right? Riding your bicycle, but it speaks to this larger point that it is so easy for us to fall into some way of living, some lifestyle that we consider to be normal because everyone else around us is doing that exact same thing. So I'm going to jump back into the article because he has a couple more examples um, that I thought were really, really cool. Let me find, let's see, I'll kind of skip ahead a little bit. Um, Yeah, so uh, he talks about, uh, later on, he talks a little bit about um, just how insane it is that we have so many cars in California and that the roadways are, are enormous. We have ocean-sized parking lots and um, cathedral-like networks of overlapping arched bridges that are the, the freeways because every freeway in California is like an eight-lane freeway each direction. So you've got like a 16-way freeway and then you got 30 freeways all crisscrossing over each other, right? Just for my wife and I to go from our house to my my mom's house back when we were living in San Diego, it was like an hour and 40 minute drive. We had to cross six different interstate freeways. Like, I mean, it's just unbelievable how many freeways there are. So I totally understand what he's saying here when he's saying that, quote, the cars and roads ruin the vast majority of the beautiful land of, of California, turning everything into a screaming, crashing, toxic din of expensive and purely unnecessary bullcrap. <laughs> Sorry, clearly some strong language here, but um, he also goes on to talk about just um, how all this driving causes thousands of violent deaths due to crashes and requires thousands of police officers, ambulances, fire trucks to patrol, and how sedentary lifestyle and the, the body-destroying nature of sitting down in a car for several hours a day is causing millions of deaths due to heart disease and diabetes and related conditions and whatnot. And um, 
Man, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that, but let's go ahead and skip ahead here. So he says, quote, that's that's the California effect. Bless you think I'm beating up unfairly on the people of this fine state. It's really just a magnified version of the everywhere effect. It is an astonishing wasted opportunity for the growing billions of people who are trapped in and perpetuating the illogical and self-defeating systems of our modern rich world. But if you think of it from the opposite perspective, it is simultaneously the biggest life opportunity in human history. The understanding that all of us live in a bubble, which we incorrectly perceive as normal. Mr. Money Mustache lives on a quiet street where millionaire early retirees still prefer old cars and do our own housework and we think that's normal. San Francisco professionals live in a place where 25-year-old tech workers enjoy $200,000 starting salaries yet still have credit card debt and car loans and they think that is normal. In a recent podcast episode, the researcher Lex Fridman, which if you haven't listened to the Lex Fridman podcast, you totally should. It is fascinating and I think he does a great job of asking really, really good thought-provoking questions. Uh, The researcher Lex Fridman described his experience interviewing Ukrainian people in the occupied war zones of that country, asking them if they felt it was safe where they lived. They generally said it was, despite frequent bombings and the occasional deaths of friends and family members. They have already started feeling that even war is normal. From TV addicts who binge watch for five hours per day to ultra-endurance athletes like Tony Riddle, who sometimes runs two marathons per day for nine consecutive days, mostly in bare feet, to alcoholics who can consume 30 beers before lunch, to video gamers and bluegrass banjo players and Olympic gymnasts who, with unimaginably fast neural circuitry and muscular control, it's all the same thing. When a human brain experiences a stimulus, it quickly rewires and adapts and starts to think this is normal. The ultimate lesson, then, is to remind yourself that no, your current life is not normal. It's super weird and super specific, and you can completely change the whole thing in as many ways as you like, and you absolutely will adapt and be able to handle it. There was a huge line for the escalator, but the five-story staircase was wide open, so of course I took the stairs. Then turned back and was happy to see people had started following my example once they saw it was normal. The cool part about this is... It means if you put the right things into your life, like health, fitness, sensible spending, learning, socializing, and helping people, you'll get used to those just as quickly as everyone else adapts to screen time and sodas and car loans. Your assignment. So he puts this assignment here at the end. It says, uh, write a list of everything in your life that is expensive, bad for your health or mental health or both. Um, Sorry, bad for your physical or mental health or both. Consider how normal these things feel to you, but then imagine a totally different person who is happy and successful, self-actualizing, who does not have or need these things in their life. Interesting. How do they do it? Start noticing your own bubble and study the California effect in your own lifestyle. Where do you see ridiculousness masquerading as normalcy? How can you extract the best of life in your area while shedding the unnecessary downsides? How can you create an entirely new bubble of normal that serves you better? That simple mindset is the underlying backbone of not just financial independence, but the best possible life all around. So this last assignment, kind of these questions he poses here, I think are are kind of the the, the culmination of, of this entire post. And that is, where can you extract the best parts of your life, shed the unnecessary downsides, and redefine what normal looks like to you? Right. So, um, I, and I've already mentioned, you know, this example of riding my bike versus, uh, driving a car to work and whatnot. And that's, that's been normal, but now it's got me thinking, you know, watching, it's got me watching the, 
um, the actions of the people around me a lot more closely and trying in asking myself, is this, is this normal? Is this what everyone else thinks is normal? Right. Um, for example, I yeah, got a lot of friends who like to drink, you know, <laughs> and, uh, alcohol is expensive, but it's super normal for them to, um, you know, purchase a bunch of alcohol, get together with friends and, and drink. And I, I don't drink alcohol. So, um, it's like something that's never really, I've never really understood, uh, in that exact way, but I know that there are tons of different things that I do that I think are totally normal that to so many other people are not normal by any stretch of the imagination, right? Um, there's so many things we do in the United States that are considered not normal, that um, <laughs> um, that we think are normal, but are not normal by standards of people from other places. And that's why traveling is one of the best things that you can do to fight, um, to fight prejudice and to open your eyes to to what to other ways in which you can live life right because all around the world people are living their regular boring mundane day-to-day lives in the same way that we are living daily boring mundane day-to-day lives right of course hopefully you know they have they have exciting things going on and not that it's not to say that everyone else's lives is, is boring per se but just that if you go to another country, you go to another place, another city, another town, just the other side of the state you live in, if you go somewhere else and you watch carefully, you'll see that people are living a regular life in a way that's probably so different from you, right? They are passing their 24 hours a day in the same way that you're passing 24 hours a day in time, but right, they're still getting their meals and they're still eating their food. They're still spending time with family or spending time with friends. They're, they're still doing maybe all the same things conceptually that you're doing, but they're doing it in such a different way. And maybe if we can spend more time with people who do this life, who play this game of life differently than we do, then maybe it'll help us to see just where this California effect is in our lifestyle. What things are we currently trapped into thinking are normal, but would actually serve us so much better if we did something different, right? If it's normal for you to go out to lunch every single day and spend, let's say it's $10, spend $10 at lunch every single day, if that's normal to you, right? That's $300 a month of normal to you. And maybe you're spending your time with people who also think that, spending $10 a day for lunch every single day for a whole month is normal, right? Maybe everyone in your, your group of friends thinks that's normal. And here's what's going to happen, right? We as humans have, um, we just have a tendency towards in-group preferences. So there is a deep-seated fear in all of us to be ostracized from our group and to become um, a member of the out-group, right? And there's and lots of studies have been done showing that even arbitrarily speaking, like if you just like randomly stuck people into different groups and just said like all of you random people are in group A and all you random people are in group B, there's something about being a part of a group that makes us, that builds strong ties, really strong ties to the other members of that group. And then sometimes adversarial contention between you and your group and people of the other group simply because they're a part of another group even if it's totally random and it's like some sort of like just like laboratory experiment this it happens all the time so if you're a part of a group your circle of friends your little bubble then you think that lunch every day at ten dollars a day so three hundred dollars a month you think that's normal there's a part of you that doesn't want to leave that group maybe you've thought maybe i should just start making some lunch maybe i go out to lunch 
half the time, right? So I spent $150 a month on lunches. And then the other days I just bring sandwiches or I just make some food at home or whatever, right? There's some part of you that's going to resist that simply because you don't want to look different from your peers because the group standard is to get lunch every day and you don't want to be kicked out of the group. None of us want to be kicked out of the group. And so something here that Pete's saying is, is that over time, his bubble has come to adopt new ideas, new ways of living. And so their community has kind of um, evolved to um, to start helping each other with house projects and to do things on their own, maybe ride your bikes more, to spend more time outside, to do activities together as friends that maybe don't cost as much, but still provide enormous amounts of value to their lives. And he's saying that new friends just kind of drift into that friend group if those new friends already share those same values. But what do you do when you're in a group that doesn't share that value? Or let's say you all share a value, right? Using this lunch as an example, you all share this lunch value, this value of, of going out to eat at lunchtime, and you decide that you want to change and you don't want to do that anymore. But it, you're going to face some opposition because maybe your friends are going to start asking you like, bro, why, like, what do you mean you don't want to come out to lunch with us? And you're like, oh, I, I brought a, I brought a sandwich. Like I'm, I'm just going to stick around here and the, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the snack room. I'm just going to eat my lunch. They're like, no, come on, man. Like, come on, like, come, like it, it, we always go, we, we always do this thing, right? You're going to, you're fighting an uphill battle here, right? And that's a tough thing to do. And what Pete's saying here is maybe we just need to. Well, maybe we need to do two things. Maybe one thing is we need to be courageous, right? Maybe we need to have some confidence, right? It is so hard for us to argue with someone who's who's like confident in their like confident in what they're doing, right? If someone says like, uh, I, I think I'm I think I'm gonna stick around and just you know eat my lunch here. Maybe I don't know, but maybe if you persuade me enough, I'll get up and go, right? Like, <laughs> it's very easy to win that person over, right? Because they're not confident. But if they teach us in sales all the time, right? So if I'm saying like, no, hey man, come on, like come, come get lunch with us. And you, that person on the other side says like, no, man, I'm, I'm trying to save some money. And I, I made my lunch. And I'm like, I'm kind of excited to eat it. I made a, you know, I made this sandwich. I got some really nice salami and some good cheese. And you know, I'm just going to stick around in the break room um, and just eat it. Like, but I'll catch you guys right afterwards, right? That is so much easier to accept as the quote unquote opposition, right? If you're if you're if you're the member another member of that friend group and that's how that's how the you know your friend responds, you're like, okay, all right, man, like suits you, like, <laughs> you know, catch you later. Right? It's we have to have a little bit of courage to make decisions that are different from those decisions of everyone else around us. And one of the things that Alan Donegan over at the Rebel Entrepreneur, he he talks about quite a bit is taking lessons from people whose results we want to imitate. So if the people you want to imitate don't go out to lunch all the time, right? Maybe they go out to lunch on the weekends. Maybe they go out to lunch here and there. They do love spending time with their friends, but they choose to do it in a different way, maybe playing board games and having friends over for a home-cooked meal or or playing sports outside or spending time at the beach or going on walks or hiking or whatever it is, right? If those are the kind of people you want to be like, and that you want the results that they have, right? Maybe you want that extra $150, $300 a month going into your bank account, saving and investing so that you have more money in the future to buy your freedom and your time back. Well, if those are the results you want, you will got to do the things that those people are doing, right? If you want, if your group is full of people who spend all of their money, who make $50,000 a year, spend $50,000 a year, who make 500 grand, who spend 500 grand. However, you know, if those are the results that you want, 
then do the things that those people are doing. We talked about this in the Power of Learning episode. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to it, go back to episode 1001, um, The Power of Learning. And we talk a lot about it in there. But if you want, or basically, if you want someone's results, do the things that they're doing. And if you don't want their results, don't take their advice. That's how it works. You can take their advice in all the other areas of life that they have that you want those results of, right? So if someone is the kindest and most generous and loving person, then you should take their advice on how to become kind and generous and loving, right? But they are, if they are terrible with their money, don't take their advice. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's pretty simple. We take the advice from the people that we want the results of, and we don't take advice from the people whose results we don't want. And so I urge, I highly urge all of you to take a second and think about what your bubble might look like and what this California effect might look like in your life, right? I know <laughs> he picks on, picks on California, picks on San Francisco. I've got, I got great friends who live in San Francisco who don't spend all that much money, who don't make all that much money either, but like they live very meaningful and intentional lives. And we've gone up there and we've gone on hikes and we've done all sorts of things that aren't expensive, like playing board games and hanging out with each other. Yeah. Hiking and maybe going and get, getting a sandwich at this really nice sandwich place or whatever, but like spending time together, doing things that matter to us and not just like frivolously spending money on things that don't matter. Right. It's not to say that you can't live, um, a great and more frugal or less wasteful life in San Francisco or in San Diego or in New York or anywhere that's a high cost of living area. You totally can. But the first step is noticing your bubble and studying this California effect in your life and trying to figure out where you are just following because that's just what everyone else is doing. You've got to find out what is quote unquote normal in your social sphere and try and figure out for yourself if that's even what you want in the first place. And if it is, go for it. If it if if the things that are happening in your circle are the things that you truly value and you've like thought about and you're like, "Yes, I actually genuinely value spending $10 a day at lunch every day of this month because I do it with all of my friends and the social aspect of that is so incredibly meaningful." Then like go for it. Do it. Maybe recommend that you guys find a different way to still all socialize, still eat the meal together, but maybe do it in a less expensive manner. But if it brings you that much value, then go for it. Put your money where you value things, right? You've got to, you've got to, because in the end, like there's no, there's no prize for whoever dies with the most amount of money. There's no prize for that, right? We need to put our money towards those things that mean the most to us, those things that we truly, truly value. Um, and we've got to be taking care of ourselves. We've got to be saving money. We've got to be protecting ourselves against the tragedies of life. And we can't do that if we're not saving any money, right? <laughs> we can't do that if we're spending everything. So um, I know that I'm going to be spending a good amount of time um, considering this California effect. I already I already committed to doing it. I'm going to get a bicycle. I'm going to start riding my bike to work. <laughs> uh, it's just a couple miles. And maybe I need to I need to exercise those muscles. I need to get those not not physically, although um, legs could could use uh, some good working out on a daily basis. But um, it's that muscle of doing something differently that I need to work on because I've spent so much time, I think, just doing what everyone else is doing. And so we're gonna we gotta practice it. We gotta do it one step at a time. So. Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. I know we all miss Russell. He wasn't here today. Um, <laughs> but um, if you got value out of this episode, please, please, please um, leave a five-star review. Leave a rating. Um, 
we would really appreciate it. It helps us get this message out to more people. We have just passed the 200 downloads mark, which is so, so awesome. We, I mean, we passed the 100 downloads mark like two episodes ago. So like the fact that we've already hit our second hundred people is it's, it's amazing. And I'm so excited. So thank you everybody for joining us or joining me today here at the Fi school podcast. And uh, please share this episode with somebody else. If you think, um, if you think they could use it and even if you don't think they could use it, maybe you should still send them this episode anyway, just so they can listen to our saxophone music. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for coming to the Fi school today. We hope you learned something new and better yet took action. Don't forget to share this episode with somebody who needs it and be sure to leave a five-star review. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at mailbag at the and until next time, enjoy this super sweet saxophone outro. Class dismissed.